1: Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Sophie B., a writer, speaker, nightlife promoter, and activist. She's written about film, music, queerness, and sex work. She's also an organizer with Support Hose, a Chicago and New York City-based collective advocating for sex worker rights. Sophie,
0: Welcome. Thank you, thank you so much. It was such a thrill uh, to have the opportunity to be on the show.
1: Um, I was so excited to, and I'm so excited that you're here because I feel like the last time I took a look at your Twitter, your your latest tweet had been something like, "I have slept 11 hours in the last three days." <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, yeah, this weekend was a big weekend in nightlife in Chicago. There was, um, there was a club that had a 23 hour party, and, uh, I did not go for all 23 hours, but I went for a lot of them. And
1: I love the nightlife. Oh, no, I can't believe I said that. Um, now there's a record of me singing on the show. Great. But just know that, like, ever since I said Nightlife Promoter, that song, I love the nightlife, I love to boogie, out on the disco round, has been in my head. Oh, yeah. And I cannot hit yeah, any yeah, of no. those notes, so <laughs> it will have to exist purely there. Well, um, do you feel generally well-rested? Do you feel able to tell people uh, what to do from a from a place of of sufficient sleep?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. I spent the last two days basically sleeping. So
1: Can I just say, though, it's nice because I feel like of the corners of the Internet I spend a lot of time in, the general um, tone tends to be towards I love to cancel plans. I love to stay inside and not talk to anyone. So there's something kind of nice and just like a great change of pace of like, I like to go outside sometimes after the sun is going down. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's like I I get as much pleasure canceling plans as anybody, but sure. um, it's you know, I mean, I, I really do, I really do value just being able to go out and go dancing. Um, and you know, it, it is actually, it's I I wasn't expecting this, but it, there's like a really great community of like. Of like queer people and um, trans people and like creative people in the nightlife scene. I mean, I guess I was expecting it, but it was you know still nice. It was to see a it. nice surprise and to be able to become part of that.
1: Yes, I, I think that's a- at least for me because if left unchecked, my tendency is definitely towards canceling plans and sitting on the couch. I depend a lot on the nightlife types to keep that world going, such that when I do have the energy, I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. I want that world to be ready and waiting for me. So I try to do what I can to give back to the going outside community um, so that you know, they know that I appreciate all they do for the rest of us.
0: Yeah. And my honestly, my main problem is that when I don't have the energy, I still want to go out and I just have to remind myself there's always another party. There's always going to be another party and it's fine. That sounds very much
1: like the scene right before your breakdown in a greedy indie movie about the party scene. <laughs> there's always going to be another party. There's always going to be another party and it's fine. And then you fall out the window like um, Kirsten Johnson's character on Sex in the City
0: oh gosh well i I definitely i mean I'm not gonna say that's out of the realm of possibility, but I certainly hope that it doesn't go that way i
1: would watch i mean obviously, I don't want your life to go that way, but I would watch that movie is all I'm saying, like oh yeah, for sure abs it would be your give my daughter the shot moment <laughs> okay, so with that wonderful performance by Sally Fields in
0: mind, um God, she's so great, isn't she? Oh God, I love her so much. I actually just recently i recently rewatched Norma Ray and it's just like incredible.
1: I was just watching a couple episodes of maniac last night, and she's fabulous in it
0: fabulous. I actually haven't seen that i my my friends keep telling me to watch it, and I'm just like yeah when i when I don't have you know th- three parties to promote a week like. it's it's not the
1: kind of thing. I often enjoy, but I, o- I only started watching it, like, towards the end, and I, like, one of the first things I saw was Jonah Hill doing the most baffling Icelandic accent, um, saying, that is forbidden speech about my dear friend Ernie, and it was so ridiculous oh and over the top, it just won my heart immediately, and then it cut to um Sally Fields just, like, weeping and giving this incredibly dramatic performance,
0: and I was hooked. Oh my gosh, yeah, I, ne- I definitely need to check it out. Yeah, just
1: forbidden speech about my dear friend Ernie. Oh, it's okay. Okay, sorry. I will stop singing and doing bad impressions of bad Icelandic accents, and I will go back to doing my job. Um, Let's go ahead and read the very first letter. The subject is, when, if ever, is it appropriate to tell young kids the real reason for divorce? Which sounds like a reasonable subject line, but you'll Mm -hmm. notice that they do not say, "your young kids. This is somebody else's young kids. So I think that's great. Um, Dear Prudence, I have a male friend, Ted, who's going through a messy divorce after he caught his wife, Joanna, cheating on him. They have a five-year-old child together. The custody is split 50-50, but he's the one who moved out of the family home. Ted has tried not to share his feelings about Joanna with their child, but Joanna has not been as careful. When asked why Ted couldn't just move back home, Joanna said it's because Ted didn't want to be married to her anymore. The obvious implication of her statement is that Ted is the one who acted selfishly in their relationship. I think Ted should feel free to be honest about the reason now that Joanna has opened the door, but he's unsure. He doesn't want to be spiteful, but he also doesn't want to let Joanna lay the blame on him. What would you recommend?
0: Um, okay. So I, uh, the, there, there's a lot, there's a lot about this question that, um, is, that it gave me, I, I thought about this a lot because I'm a child of divorce and, um, and I've also been in a relationship with somebody who had been through a divorce and had a young son. Uh, so I mean, I feel like you know, it, uh, there's um, there's a lot to consider here. Um, I the this the letter writer is um, obviously very concerned about their friend, uh, and that's I think that that's really great. But um, I I feel. I feel weird about the the sentiment that Ted should feel free to be honest about the reason with a five year old child. Right like that that seems uh, that seems to be too much.
1: Yeah, might definitely like the question. What do you recommend? I do not recommend that either the letter writer or Ted explain the concepts of infidelity to a five year old. That just that doesn't result in good things for anybody.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean you know, if, if, uh, if the child is asking why, why that's the case, like there are answers for that, that, you know, don't, that don't involve these concepts that, that, uh, that the child probably isn't, is not going to understand and isn't really ready to, uh, ready to understand. Um, I mean, really, I think the, the tack would be, you know, um, I I you know I'm not even convinced that a 5-year-old child would get the implication that it's that it's like Ted's fault. I don't I I don't know that a child would get that. I think that's not really like something that it would enter a 5-year-old's head even saying like oh Ted did not want to be married married anymore. Like I don't really think that that is something that a 5-year-old would get from that.
1: I I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I do feel like kids can definitely f- pick sides or like understand yeah. things like it's somebody's fault. But it doesn't sound like the, the daughter has been or like the child has been like overwhelmed with distress about that. It's kind of more like, how do I respond to that particular claim? Which, I, I, you know, again, like for, for Ted and for anybody who cares for Ted, that has to feel really frustrating. Like yeah. first his wife has an affair that ends their marriage and then is like um, not putting the interest of the child first and kind of trying to rope a five-year-old into saying like, oh, well, actually your dad is kind of leaving us both. Like that's really awful and I'm really, really sorry. Um I just don't think it's it's not going to help Ted to say no. Your mom had an affair. Yeah, um, that's not going to comfort the five year old. The five year old is not going to like benefit from that, um, and it and it and it wouldn't make Ted feel better. Um, which which is rough. It's rough when the other person is acting badly, and the sort of answer is you kind of have to keep taking the higher road here, um, but but it's kind of your only option.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, when you, there's a child involved like that, there's you can't really. It's not the right move is not to, not to be spiteful or like take a, like try to do like a counter attack in some, in some kind of ways. Even if it's, even if it's the truth mm-hmm. about like what happened, I don't think that that's, that that's fair or productive or helpful, especially for the child. I mean, really, I think, I mean, if, if it were me, I would just, you know, I would just, and, and the child was asking me, like, why did this happen? Why why aren't you together anymore? My answer would be, well, we decided we would be happier if we weren't together. And that, and you know, that means that if we're happier, we can take care of you better. And we both agreed on that. And I think that that's kind of, that's, that's what I would say. I mean, obviously the particulars of the relationship are going to be different, uh, for, for, uh, Ted and Joanna or, uh, Joanna. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like that's, that's kind of the right way to go is just to be diplomatic and take the high road and just say like, Hey, this is, you know, this, this, uh, it was something that we are doing for all of us.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things that might be tricky here is that if the divorce is this messy, it may not be possible for Ted to like try to schedule a sit down mediated conversation with Joanna. But if it is even remotely possible, I think try to push for that and to just say like, hey, can we agree um, on what we are and aren't going to say about our child about this divorce? Uh, And can we agree that it's best for our child to not go into details about this divorce, especially when they're so young? Um, That would be ideal. And if if the ex-wife, soon-to-be ex-wife, was willing to do that and you could have a mediator present, uh, that would be the advice I would say, give your friend that advice. if not, then I think, you know, the most Ted can do is to say, you know, like, uh, and, and again, like seek advice and counsel from other people who have been divorced or talked about it with their children. But to say something along the lines of, um, you know, it's it's not as simple as, you know, we, we, we both realize that we couldn't be married to each other anymore, but we both love you. We want to make sure that we can take care of you as best as we can. Um yeah, I, I think that's the best way to answer it. Yeah, she has put your friend in a really di- difficult position, and I'm really sorry. But yeah, you 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 can't say actually your mom cheated on me, and here's what cheating on people means. Like you know,
0: yeah, but- yeah, yeah. You cannot say that, especially to to a child that young. Like that's that's not going to get anybody anywhere. I think me, I think trying to go for mediation there and just say like we need to we need to do this because. Because this is what's going to be best for our child is to not like not take this sort of spiteful road. And we need to be agreed on how we're going to talk about this.
1: Right. Like I would totally agree with a letter writer if this were about their like mutual friends. And yes, like in that case, absolutely. Like, oh, man, I was trying to be diplomatic, but Joanna has been telling lies. So therefore, I now feel free to speak a little more. Freely, um, but with a child who, you know, bare minimum is going to have to be splitting custody and and spending half their time with Joanna for the next 13 years, um, you know, you would be causing damage to that child by saying, like, actually, your mom had an affair and your kid, the kid needs to be the highest priority.
0: Yes, absolutely. And,
1: you know, probably for you, letter writer, it will also be helpful to take maybe a a slight step back in terms of giving lots of advice or being super involved in how Ted and Joanna interact, which is not to say, like, ignore your friend or the pain he's going through, but maybe focus more on, you know, hey, can I help? hang out with you and the kid? Um, can I help cheer you up? And then encourage him to direct questions to a mediator and or divorce lawyer that are about like how to parent his child. I mean, not that you should ask your divorce lawyer how to parent your child, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you have a very wise divorce lawyer.
0: Yeah, I think that that's really good advice for the letter writer too, is just, you know, kind of take a, take a backseat, like the, uh, take a little bit of a step back because this is a friend and you care about him. But, you know, I mean, this is something that you know that i that they need to that you ted i think needs just that kind of that level of emotional support more than anything right now and not and maybe unless he's like specifically asking for that advice um you know just kind of offer to be there and and uh you know offer the emotional support in other ways
1: yeah and just i think increased um like appropriate distance um is just going to be good especially like if you are it sounds like letter writer you're a very loyal friend and i can certainly imagine myself in this situation just being like man i'm super mad at joanna i am in the corner for ted as as much as i can be and i kind of just want to like you know dish it back to her as she has she's been dishing it out so i I get that that's an understandable instinct but i think you're going to want to rein that in especially because they're going to be co-parenting for the next 13 years um and as tempting as it might feel like, all right, well, if she's going to say stuff, then I'm going to stay stuff. And if she's going to make things difficult for me, I'm going to make things difficult for her and go full War of the Roses. The movie, obviously, not the dumb war. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, again, that's just that's that's going to end up being worse for their kid and 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 for Ted's own mental health. Um, obviously, yeah. it's hard to ignore provocation. But generally, I think stick to telling your child um, the kindest, most age-appropriate version of the truth, um, and then not trying to get too dragged into a back-and-forth of, your mom said, what about me? Well, let me tell you something about your mom.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: All right. Next letter is all yours. Take us away.
0: Okay. The subject of this letter is Sober Square. Dear Prudence, recently I've decided to take an extended break from drinking. I've been having a lot of mental health issues recently, worsened by my high-stress job, I've used drinking as a coping mechanism in the past, and I've decided that I will be avoiding drinking altogether for a while. My problem is this. I have some very close friends I normally drink a lot with. They have not presented themselves as being the most supportive of sobriety, going as far as to laugh it off and say things like, Why would you ever do that? When I have hung out with them, drinking is almost always the activity of choice, often to the point of blacking out for some members of the group. I'm not trying to be a wet blanket, but I can't help but feel like one when I'm shooting down the activity of choice. My partner and other friends are very accepting of this lifestyle change. How do I stay friends with this group too? Um, so this is something that I uh, that I have dealt with a lot in my own personal life as well. I try to take um, an extended break from drinking at least like a few weeks Every every once in a while, because I mean, especially like doing nightlife stuff a lot. I'm exposed to uh, I'm exposed to drinking and other substances a lot like in that life, like people people around me are doing all sorts of all sorts of things. Um, But it so I definitely sympathize with this a lot. Like I've I've been there. um, I know what it's like to just feel the need to occasionally take a break. And so I think that's a very, very healthy thing to do. And I mean, I I feel like in in this case, though, I'm I'm very lucky because I don't really have many people around me who respond to that to that choice of mine poorly. So, I mean, this is this is a rough situation to be in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I'm I'm glad that you have people in your life who uh, do not hold as a friendship requirement that you drink the exact same amount that they do all the time. Um, yeah. And that is that is that is really tough. And um, I, I have also been in this letter writer's position. I got sober a little over five years ago. And um, a lot of my friends were really fabulous and really helpful. And there were some relationships that did not survive my getting sober. And that was difficult and, and painful. Um, and so I, I think mostly I, I want to say to the letter writer, one thing that you may need to prepare yourself for is, you know, it, depending on how long um, this this period of, of non-drinking lasts for you, um, you may not be able to stay friends with some people. And that can be really hard and painful to think that friendships you valued highly um, had, had more to do with drinking the same way than you thought. Um, and... I, again, I don't know that that's going to happen. I'm not promising that that's going to happen, but it might. It absolutely might. Um, and so you may do everything you can. You may be as like kind and chill and non-judgmental as possible, and they will still take your not drinking as a personal affront um, and not be able to let it go. And if that happens, I think at a certain point, the best thing you can do for yourself or for them is to say, okay, I hear you. I'll, I, I will not ask you to come out and do something non-drinking related again.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it is entirely possible that, like you said, that, that this just, this may not be, these may not be friendships that will be able to weather that change. And, and that is a possibility that, that, uh, the, that, uh, the letter writer needs to, needs to sort of square themselves with because, um, if, you know, and if they're, and I, and I understand like the, you know, um, it says that they are very close friends. Um, I wonder, letter writer, have you, have you talked to these friends about it? Just like very seriously say like, Hey, this is, you know, this is important to me and I still want to spend time with you and do things with you, but it's really, uh, it's really an important thing that I'm doing for myself. I'm taking the step to be kind to myself and take care of myself. And it would mean a lot to me, uh, to know that I have your support because you're all very important to me. And, you know, and I, and if you have that conversation with them and they still laugh it off i mean that's that that seems like not that seems like not a great indication for you know it, it, you you want to surround yourself with people who are going to support you taking care of yourself and and if the and if these this group of friends is not going to do that you know it might it might be time to just say like well i understand and i'm I hope that we can find other ways to spend time with each other. And, um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, that is definitely something that you need to be prepared for. And as far as like other things that you can do, you know, with them, I mean, may, honestly, like, I th- I think there, I think there are definitely possibilities. It just kind of depends on what the group is like and what they, what they're interested in. Um, but yeah, it's it's not an easy position to be in, and it's and it sucks to have to accept that you may not that these relationships may not survive this this uh, decision that you're making for yourself.
1: Right, and and I think it sounds like the letter writer has maybe had these friends say these things when they've been in groups together. Yeah. So I would say my, my one kind of last strategy would be to say, to talk to them independently and to say like, Hey, I know that you said, why would anyone ever take a break from drinking? Um, and I, I will tell you why, like I've been having a lot of mental health issues recently. My job's been really stressful. I found myself using drinking as a coping mechanism. Um, I'm nervous about blacking out. Um, and I want to do this cause I, I, I want to take care of myself. Um, I, I, I would love it if you could – even if you don't you know, think that it, it's a choice that you would make for yourself, please know it doesn't say anything about anybody else's choices. It's just me and mine. Um, and at the very least, I would love it if you would not laugh it off or say that it's stupid. That's a really low bar, by the way, letter writer. Like, And if these people are really close with you and they cannot meet that bar, I, I think some of what that says is that they, for whatever reason – um, feel like you are not drinking is a commentary on their choices around drinking, and that threatens something that feels so precious to them that they cannot allow it to be threatened. Um, and they are going to need to paint you as um, a killjoy, somebody who overreacts, somebody who's not fun, somebody who's trying to ruin other people's fun. Um, and that if they insist on doing that, when all you're doing is saying like I can't drink. Um, Then it will be good for you to pull back from those friendships. And again, like that, that's really, really painful. It can be really jarring um, to think like, all that's changing is I'm not drinking for the foreseeable future and somebody else, you know, says or does something really cruel or hurtful. but sometimes that that's kind of what you learn in, in in taking a break is who are the people who might enjoy drinking or have fun drinking but are perfectly comfortable being around somebody who isn't and would, in fact, seek to make that person feel comfortable versus the kind of person who would say, I need to, like, mock this person out of their decision in order to feel comfortable about mine.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's it really uh it really speaks a lot it like if you do have those those individual conversations um and they still respond in you know in a defensive way or laugh it off and don't take you seriously like it might just be it you know that that's seems indicative of some of relationships that you might that it might be just healthier for you to to step away from yeah and um because that because that sort of thing like that's not that that's like people who you're close with and who you care and who uh, you care about and who care about you should i i feel like you know they should embrace you doing things to take care of yourself like recognizing like recognizing that you are making choices that are that are healthy for you, and encouraging that, and supporting that.
1: Yeah, it's a super super low bar. It's a, it's an easy one for a good friend to clear. Um, and yeah, if they absolutely can't clear it despite like a lot of patience and explanation from your side. I think spend more time with your partner and the friends who are super accepting. Um, hopefully they'll come around. If they don't, um, it, it's better for you to focus on your own well being, um, than to watch a bunch of people black out and make fun of you for not drinking. Um, Because that I I just can't imagine that that's gonna make you feel closer to any of them or feel like you're having a good time.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Whew! All right, this next letter I tried to cut it down as much as I could. It is, I, I think, part of the theme of some of the letters today is like secondhand. Uh, like conflict because a lot of people writing in are like something in my inner social circle is going on. I'm not directly involved, but I feel involved or instrumentalized. And, you know, uh, it's a lot. So the subject here is unwilling accomplice. Dear Prudence, I'm a gay man in my early 60s and I've been best friends with a straight woman I'll call Amanda for nearly 40 years. Amanda has a younger sister, Brianna, who is always considered the pretty one, while Amanda was the smart one. They're devoted to each other. Amanda also has a longtime boyfriend, Charles, who she loves very much. While he's superficially charming, I don't have a high opinion of him. He and Amanda have an open relationship at his insistence, although he's the only one who dates other people. Amanda says she's content with things the way they are, and I accept that. About 10 years ago, it came to light that Brianna and Charles were having an affair, The resulting drama nearly destroyed all three of them, but the sisters eventually patched things up. God knows why, but Amanda took Charles back. Amanda and I are planning our annual long out-of-town weekend soon. Brianna will be going out of town to a different location with girlfriends, and Charles plans to stay home and work. A few nights ago, I was having dinner with another old out-of-town friend who knows everyone through me. He works in the hospitality industry, and told me, without my asking, and in my opinion unprofessionally, that he knew for a fact that Brianna and Charles were planning on spending that long weekend together in the same room at the resort where he works, and that they have apparently done this several times before. I didn't want to know this information, and what's worse, I don't know what to do with it. If it were any other woman, I'd chalk it up to Charles being the dirtbag I always knew he was and let it go. But it's not just some other woman, it's Amanda's sister, and it's a total betrayal of her trust. Part of me thinks Amanda would want to know, and part of me says not to breathe a word, although that would make me feel like an accomplice for the rest of my life. I also think Amanda might eventually find out about the renewed affair anyway. What do I do? Woo!
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's a lot. And um, the the last sentence there, I also think Amanda will eventually find out about the renewed affair anyway. I think that that is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. um, Because, I mean... You know, the letter writer found it out without asking or seeking out that information. Right. They're not being discreet. Yeah. So, like, I think it's absolutely true that Amanda will eventually find out about it anyway. Like, that seems very, very likely considering considering what the rest of the letter says.
1: Yeah. And I I think, too, like... The fact that they've all, uh, not they've all, but the fact that this letter writer has been friends with her for nearly 40 years, right? Like, this isn't, these are not people in their early 20s with like relationships that like we're probably going to end anyways. And like, you two aren't that close. Like, this is a, this, per, this letter writer is basically family to Amanda.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's big. Um, what do you think would you are are you of the mindset of like, well, she'll probably find out anyways, so I don't have to say anything, or are you of the mindset of she's probably gonna find out anyways, so as her friend, I want to spare her the embarrassment of possibly finding out in public or from someone else and tell her myself
0: yeah um my 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 feeling on this was i I feel like somebody needs to tell amanda, and i i f my first instinct was that the letter writer maybe if if this is an option, could talk to Brianna and say, hey, I found out this information. Um, I wasn't seeking it out. And I wasn't, like, trying to spy on you two. But I found out that this was going on. And I don't want what... I don't want what happened a decade ago to happen again. I don't want this, you know, all of your, your relationship with your sister to be torn apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to talk to Amanda you need to tell her what's going on and if and if and i feel like you know in this case because because the letter writer and Amanda are so close if that if that doesn't go well then the letter writer would uh would be perfectly in in my opinion would be perfectly fine telling Amanda and saying saying hey this is this is what the deal is and you know and then just like offering any emotional support that Amanda needs in that, in, uh, whatever happens after that, because yeah, I mean, 40 years is, yeah. I mean, that is, that is, uh, like family at that point. That's, that's, uh, that's a relationship that there's, there's a level of intimacy there that, um, I think requires like that sort of honesty. And I feel like the kind thing to do would be to let Amanda know that this is what's happening because because I think Amanda is definitely going to find out anyway.
1: I think mm, I would definitely do the talk to Brianna first if this was the first time Brianna was sleeping with her sister's okay. boyfriend. But given that this is the second go around I think Brianna has like ceded her right of first refusal like you talk to her or I will. I think this is a case of I would go uh, straight to Amanda and just say what you said, basically, like, I didn't seek this information out. I'm so sorry to be the bearer of bad news. I recently was informed that um, Amanda and Charles are booking hotels together, and they're planning on seeing one another while you and I are out of town. And I wanted to let you know, so that you could do whatever you need to do. And I'm here for you. And I'm so sorry. Um, Yeah, I think that, you know, like, sister who has an affair with my boyfriend once, may like that's very generous that Amanda forgave her and patched things up with her, yeah, I think the second time like there's a lot of other men in the world that you can sleep with, Brianna, and I think going back to that same well um you know i I do hope that 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 this time um Amanda at the very least leaves Charles,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean that is that's that's definitely true, like the fact that the fact that it happened once before and it you know, and it almost tore apart the relationships between all three of them. And then it happened again. Like, yeah, it was very it, it is like it's incredibly generous that of Amanda to uh, forgive both uh, both Brianna and Charles. And then and then, yeah, to have it again. I, I you know, I, I I'm going to change what I said. I definitely agree with you. And I think that the letter writer is would be perfectly uh, would be absolutely right to talk to uh talk to their friend talk to his friend and say this is what's going on
1: yeah i just yeah and like charles is just like a he doesn't even deserve the word dirtbag because dirtbag yeah. can mean like kind of charming guy who like like lets you bum cigarettes outside of the 711 charles has nothing in common with that cool cool guy has, like, <laughs> like grade a the worst
0: yeah definitely like i mean and uh I just, just the fact that, the fact that he's insisting on, on cheating on Amanda with, with Brianna. And I mean, I, and I know that they, that they have a, that they have an open relationship. This is one thing I definitely want to address. They have an open relationship. And even if Charles was the one who sort of insisted upon it, um, And and Amanda says that she's that she's fine with it and is okay with the fact that Charles is dating other people while Amanda is not like that's that's all well and good. But the implication with this letter is that Charles is lying about him staying home to work while while this long weekend is going on.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it it definitely doesn't sound like their open relationship ever was expanded to include. And by the way, if you want to sleep with blood relatives, um, especially, you know, my sister who was always held up as the prettier one my whole life, that's cool. Like, I don't think yeah. that's ever been part of the deal.
0: Yeah, so, like, very clearly, like, even w- in the situation where they are in an open relationship, this is very clearly a violation. There's there's dishonesty going on. There's not, you know, they aren't communicating. Like, Charles is refusing to communicate about uh about what's happening and that's i mean that's a that's breaking the rules in any in any relationship whether it's monogamous or non-monogamous but i mean it, it, all the history here and like sleeping with a blood relative and lying about it and like the this is this is just absolutely unacceptable yeah. and uh and charles is uh charles does not <laughs> Charles does not deserve to be protected here. No,
1: no. And there's lots of people who can, like, use the phrase open relationship and misuse it to sort of... And that's not the fault of the concept of open relationships at all. But, yeah, there are absolutely people who will say things like, open relationship, the way, like, a little kid would say, like, you know, no tag backs in tag right after they'd been tagged, like, to cheat.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm definitely with you, like, Talk, talk to Amanda
1: yeah and oh, I hope that that long weekend is really really fun and that she you know kicks him out and just gets to enjoy um, the rest of her life without him because he is uh, the worst huh, all right this this next letter man this is uh this is painful and you get to read it luckily for me
0: <laughs> yeah this one this one is uh, this one's hard um okay the subject is. I'm afraid my sister will harm herself if I continue to have a relationship with our mother. Dear Prudence, My older sister and my mother have a difficult relationship, stemming from my mom's decision to put her in foster care and eventually to live with her biological father as a child. My emotionally abusive father, who is my sister's stepfather, gave my mother an ultimatum. Either my older sister had to go, or my father would take me and my two younger siblings away. My mother and father are now long since divorced, and my mother and older sister have been able to have a pretty good relationship since then, with the past abandonment coming up from time to time. My sister has dealt with severe depression most of her life, at least in large part caused by the trauma from my father's abuse and my mother's decision. And earlier this year, she attempted suicide. While she and my mother seemed on the road to repairing their relationship since that awful moment, my sister has recently decided that having a relationship with my mother triggers too many bad memories and new disappointments that fuel her depression. I understand and have joined her in criticizing my mother in order to make her feel heard and understood. I have also recently cut off ties with my father, who is not apologetic in the least about his treatment of my sister and my mother. But I love my mother, and while she has clear flaws, I believe she is ultimately loving and was man- manipulated by my father. She is also a good grandmother to my new baby, which I particularly value now that my father is out of the picture. However, I feel some pressure from my sister to show solidarity with her when it comes to my mother. She hasn't explicitly said anything, but I sense that she feels some level of abandonment by me when I see my mother and when I see my mother or have her babysit. My sister has also told me recently that she has contemplated suicide again, but would not go through with it for my sake and my daughter's. She's been attending therapy regularly to address her depression, but that is a long process and I'm increasingly feeling responsible for her ability to cope, and I fear that having a good relationship with my mother may push her back. Her life and happiness are of course extremely important to me, but I also want to maintain as much of a family for me and my child as possible. How can I manage this going forward?" Woo! Yeah, that is. uh, Yeah,
1: I I think I would put this in the same category as the earlier question about drinking, not to say that they're on the same scale. um, But I mean, you genuinely may need to accept that if you keep your mother in your life, you will not be able to keep your sister in your life. I, I also understand the mitigating circumstances and that you feel like your stepfather's abuse was such that um you believe your mother did not have agency or free will um, that she was able to uh, access in that moment. Um, maybe uh, you know that's that's certainly your take on, on the situation. Um, but for your sister, her mother gave her away. Um, yeah, and that's just the reality that she is dealing with. And you know, it may be that the situation was as full of extenuating circumstances as you want to believe that it is. And that doesn't change the emotional reality of like, this is the woman who gave me away. So it, it simply may be that your sister is not able to have any contact with her ever again um, and will continue to find it really painful and difficult that you keep your mother in your life. And um, it may also be necessary for her then to decide that she can't have a relationship with you. And if that were the case and you were not willing to also um, cut your mother out of your life, you might just have to accept that as a painful reality.
0: Yeah. And I think um, the letter writer said here that um, that your sister hasn't explicitly said anything um, about about what she's feeling about your relationship with you, with your mother. But I think, you know, it might it might be worth asking her and saying, like, hey, I I really care about you. I want to support you. I want to I want to take care. I want to take care of. You know, I want to do what you need me to do. So, what is like what? What do you want and what do you need from me in order to support you in this? Because I know that you're struggling and you're working on healing, and I want to support your healing as much in whatever ways I can. And um, and so, you know, maybe and you know, if your sister has an answer for that, um, then you know, it, I think even asking that question, um. As uh as somebody who is who has uh struggled with uh with suicidal ideation as well, having people ask that question alone makes me feel supported. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it and it isn't just like un, like it's the fact that they want to know what I think would help me. Yeah. And um that's that's something that I think would be worth asking your sister, like, what can I do? What would make you feel supported? Yeah. And what would help you heal? And yeah, you you are definitely going to have to consider the possibility that that it might require, you know, losing one of these relationships.
1: Um, d- just thinking through, too, like, if you haven't already, like, to be sensitive about, like, you know, if you're talking with your sister and, and your mother is coming over to babysit, don't say something like, hey, I've got to go. Mom's on her way over. Um, you know, you can certainly do what you can to make sure that she does not have to see your mother um, or run into her, um, that you don't necessarily bring her up in conversation to her to kind of respect her decision. Um, again, that may not mean that you're able to to keep your sister uh, in your life, but that would at least go um, some way toward relieving some of that sense of pressure.
0: Yeah. And um, there are definitely ways to to avoid that. Like, I mean, you're your mother is obviously a big part of your life right now, and especially with having uh, with having a you know with having a young child, like that adds a lot to how how present your mother is is in your life. But um, there there are ways that that can be mitigated. Um, you know, I mean if when you go to spend time with your sister, instead of, instead of being at your place when, you know, which is a place that your mother might be, if she was coming to pick up the child, you know, find other places where you can be together. And, um, and I think, like I said, uh, a lot of that is just going to depend on what your sister feels like she needs. And, and also like, And, and on that, and on that note, like, you know, if, if she doesn't have an answer for what she needs, that's okay. You know, it's sometimes we don't know. And, um, but you know, you can still find ways to support her and also just kind of keep that conversation open and say like, here's, you know, if the, if this changes, if, if the ways that you need support change, I'm here for that. And I'm, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to adapt to that and, um, just, and we can talk about it it is going to be, it is going to be a situation where you just kind of have to understand that there's no perfect solution here. It's not going to be a, there's entire, it's entirely possible that you will no longer be able to have a relationship with your mother and, um, or that your relationship with your sister is going to significantly change. Like these are, these are very possible and that's, and that's not, that's uh, something that you need to accept.
1: Right. And and I, I want to clarify, too, like, I, I, I don't want to say, like, um, your sister is right to feel abandoned because obviously your mother could and should have done something different. Like, I, I don't want to downplay or minimize whatever abuse she was experiencing. Um, I just want to help you see that from your sister's perspective, all she knows is that um, that happened. And that your mother was eventually able to leave that relationship, I think, would just probably for her add an extra level of pain of, like, she was able to get away from him later. But it wasn't enough when I was the one being sacrificed. Yeah. Um, and, And again, I don't know the details of what were going on in their relationship at the time. I don't know what circumstances changed later. I don't want in any way to say... You know that your mother wasn't being manipulated and abused, but that also doesn't change the emotional reality for your sister. so I think that's the point I wanted yeah. to make rather than trying to make any claims about how bad it was um so i I, I just think for your sister um, the reality is um you know, what, what he threatened is not, like, legally possible. You can't go to court and say, I want custody of my two children because my wife won't give up the other one. Um, and so just on some level she had to have felt pain at the thought of, like, that that happened to me and it didn't have to happen. Um, mostly I just feel really sad, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, um, yeah, we don't want to diminish that at all. And, I mean, your like your relationship with your mother is unquestionably different because of this and there's mm-hmm. and it seems like despite despite trying you know your sister just like uh is not going to be able to repair that relationship and that's totally uh that's totally understandable yes. considering what happened like like people when people are hurt on that level you know it's the healthiest thing can be to cut people out and so you know
1: especially that line about new disappointments suggests to me that there's something going on that your mother is either continuing to hurt her now or unable to acknowledge the ways in which she was hurt in the past. Um, That means that it's not just, Oh, I thought I could maybe um, find a way to build a relationship with her uh, without bringing up the past. But like, she is also continuing to do things that, that hurt your sister. Um, and, And I, you know, like you letter writer have, uh, You've seen your mom become a great grandmother. Um, You have sympathy for her because you were there growing up and you saw the ways in which she was hurt and manipulated by your father. You have a lot of empathy for your mom, and I get that. But all that comes from the fact that you got to grow up in that house with her. And again, that's not a situation you created. That's not your fault. Um, But it it means that the sort of emotional reality you have comes because, you you know— your your mother did make that trade-off. Your father made that demand and your mother made that trade-off. So you two are just operating in two really different worlds. You're operating in a world where once when you were a child, your mother made a difficult, hard decision and was in a lot of pain and you got to see that and she's operating in a world where her mom gave her away. Yeah, And then she was abused. So it's, I, I you know... You two are just balancing such different contexts that if she needs that space, I, I, I think the best thing you can do is like lovingly grant it to her, let her know that you care for her, that you would never try to pressure her into forgiving your mother or redeveloping a relationship with her, um, and that you support whatever choices she needs to make. I think that's going to be the best way forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So the the like tonal shift we're about to go into is <laughs> massive. Yeah. And I really regret that I have to read this letter. <laughs> but we all have problems of all different levels of complexity and seriousness. And this is certainly... The subject of CEO has turned into the poop police. So that's just where we're at today, friends. Dear Prudence. I work at a small company with 15 employees for five years now. The company owner is also the CEO and president. By the way, whenever any sentence starts that way in a letter, I know the next sentence is never going to be. And it's working out great. Like oversight and checks and balances are necessary. He's a chronic micromanager. He and I managed to get along generally well. I've stuck it out while a lot of people have left because of him. He suffers from anxiety and tends to vacillate from being very flexible about the office culture to suddenly cracking down. Example, he used to allow people to set their own hours, then all of a sudden told everyone they had to be in the office between the hours of 8 and 5 with no exceptions. Last week, he announced that we were not allowed to, quote, go number two in our office bathroom anymore because the fan ventilates into the main office and we must now use the bathroom on the floor below us, which belongs to other offices. I was in disbelief. Then a couple days later, he announced that, quote, some people weren't following the guidelines because the office smelled. He apparently didn't take a hint from the shocked look on people's faces when he announced this. It probably goes without saying that we don't have an HR department. What is the proper response here? I can take his occasional temper tantrums, but attempting to micromanage people's bodily function goes too far. People don't feel like they can challenge him because he's the CEO. I just had a flashback to my experience with this kind of boss many years ago who would also vacillate between like whatever you guys want as long as it works for you everything's great to like I just came up with 80 new ways to change the office and we need to implement them all five minutes ago and you are all doing a terrible job already
0: yeah um yeah I have definitely worked in in uh situations like that with people who uh would they would Switch just at the drop of a hat between massively micromanaging everybody to just not managing at all, and um, yeah. So uh, I just want to say right off the start, attempting to micromanage people's bodily functions absolutely does go too far. That is, uh, that I'm, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not a uh, an expert in labor law, but that seems not. Not above board there. Yeah, I mean, I just Um,
1: Googled, like, OSHA restroom requirements, and I'm pretty sure this violates OSHA, like... Which stands for, by the way, Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Uh, Letter writer, I encourage you to go look that up. Um, You could certainly consult a, a local lawyer. But I don't even think you need to consult a lawyer. I think you can say to your boss, like, we as a company, you have a legal obligation to provide your employees with their own restroom, not like the Burger King across the street. And you could be in violation of that if you try to enforce this policy.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that is absolutely the, the first step. And, um, and if, you know, and if the, if the smell in the office is bothering him, um, which is, I mean, that's understandable. I don't, I wouldn't want to work in an office that smells. Um, but if that is bothering him, then that is something that should be, uh, should be referred to some, uh, some, somebody who can come in and repair the vents. Right. make, and, make that so that that is not where the where the bathroom vents into um and if you know and it's it really just sounds like that this is not a not a good office environment anyway um and just in general like i've i've had my fair share of just very toxic uh office office jobs um and this is like you said it's making me kind of flash back to those uh, in a few different ways. And, you know, if, if you bring it up to, uh, to the company owner and say, Hey, this is absolutely not, uh, you, you are risking being in violation of OSHA standards, which will get, which will get you into a lot of trouble if, you know, if you don't follow those, those standards, if that does not go well, It might be time. It's probably time to seek out other employment. I mean, you've been at that company for five years. You have a good, uh, stable uh, history there, and it might be, and it might just be time to look at to look at other things. I mean, obviously, a lot of other people have gone through that office and then and then left um, uh, because because of uh, his micromanaging and his uh, and his. The way that the way that he uh, just completely flips on the rules of the office, and so it might be time to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I think too. Obviously, like this is definitely a level of bonkers where. Um, Five years under this guy might be a record. Good for you. Maybe time to look elsewhere. But I also think, in the meantime, maybe now is time to spend some of the capital that you have earned of like figuring out ways that you can individually get along with him. Um, in part because I, I I do think this is like kind of made up because it doesn't the letter writer doesn't say like we've all noticed the office smells terrible or like this has been a problem for years. Like, presumably, you all have like been shitting sometimes at work for the last five years. Um, Like, I don't think that's a new thing you all started doing recently. Um, So either everyone has noticed, like, a recent problem or it's always been a problem. Uh, It just doesn't... It sounds to me like he's just being bananas right now so I, I think yeah. what you should do letter writer is talk to your fellow employees and say I'm gonna try to talk to him you know is there any message you all want me to pass along just kind of like keep them in the loop and then go to him and say like hey I understand that you're frustrated about this but you know uh, we should protect ourselves as a company we are legally obligated to provide employees with bathrooms um, we cannot dictate what they do use them for. Um, That puts us in really precarious legal territory. Um, And so I I think what we need to do is figure out whether or not this is something we need to bring up with, like, the facilities management of this office building um, or figure out another solution, because this one puts us, like, at risk of... um, overstepping our legal bounds and you know you yourself will know best how to tailor that to him such that he can potentially receive it wait until a time of day when he's normally at his most receptive do whatever sort of compliment sandwich you have to do of like you know you're just so great all the time Uh, and then get into the the rest of it but yeah I I think you do need to try to use your rapport with him um, for everyone's benefit here and the good news is like he can't like run into the bathroom and drag people out. Um so yeah, you can yeah. all in the meantime when you do need to use the bathroom just use the bathroom but I cannot imagine just like the embarrassment and sheer sense of like what's this guy going to do next of hearing my boss say like new policy about like bodily functions.
0: Yeah. Well and yeah and I think I think uh it it's definitely um, the the right move to talk to the other employees and say I'm going to go speak with him and uh, and because it, they because like you know like uh, like you said letter writer the if the other people don't feel like they can challenge him you have this relationship with him and um, that has been that you've maintained over the last five years um you can definitely be the representative for the rep- for the rest of the people in the company and bring this up like yeah. that's and and i and i and that is going to make things better for everybody
1: yeah and i'm so sorry for all of you i just cannot imagine having to like go back to work and talk to this guy with a straight face knowing that he's like somewhere like trying to keep a bathroom tally on everyone yeah yeah Okay, next letter. You get to read it. Lucky you. <laughs> uh,
0: you're giving me all of the uh, all of the tough ones here. Um, the subject is stress in the classroom. Dear Prudence, I've been teaching 100 level composition and reading classes for over 10 years. I've mostly taught adult students returning to school for a career change. Recently, I accepted a position teaching at a community college with traditional students coming straight out of high school. My oldest student is 19, and I have handfuls of students as, as young as 14 in my classes uh, who are from post-secondary at, uh, schools. Uh, I'm struggling with the age adjustment and how to be patient with their politics. On the one hand, they're young, and college is an opportunity to have their beliefs challenged and to learn about new perspectives. But on the other hand, I'm finding myself stressing about interactions I have with students long after they've ended, and I'm losing sleep. I have students who write papers arguing that there's only two genders, that guns make people safer, that all Muslims are terrorists, and that women regularly make false rape accusations. When I present them with credible evidence that contradicts their claims, they roll their eyes at me and make no adjustments to their papers. I've done my best to keep to keep my criticism of their arguments limited to the assignment rubrics, such as docking points for lack of sources, inappropriate tone, discussions of credibility, etc. But they don't bother to make revisions to their essays, even just for the sake of their grades. I'm not combative in the classroom, though I do challenge their claims with credible evidence. It's emotionally exhausting, far beyond what I've ever experienced in any classes I've taught before." My department is currently scheduling classes for the next term, and I'm seriously considering leaving this job because of how stressful it's become. I don't need the money, so there's nothing tethering me to this position other than the nagging feeling that even if they don't take me seriously, they're being challenged and might hopefully learn something about credible sources and how to construct a logical argument. Am I letting these students get to me too much? Do I need to take deep breaths and remind myself that they're still young and learning? Am I serving an important role in their education by challenging their beliefs and forcing them to confront the holes in their arguments? Or am I justified in leaving this position for the sake of my own mental health? Whew. Um... If, if any one of my friends who are not teachers came to me with this problem, I would say you absolutely have no obligation to try to, to try to change these people's minds if it's, if it's, uh, causing you that much stress. But it is literally the letter writer's job to talk, to try to teach, uh, these students. So, this was very very tough for me, and I've been thinking about this uh, since I first since I first read it, and I'm still still kind of wrestling with how I want to respond.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Walk me through what feels complicated. What's the conflict? Conflicting emotion here.
0: Um. So my my uh my conflicting emotion here is I if people are presenting these sort of reactionary views, um that are uh, and, and they're ignoring, uh, pushes to, you know, get more credible sources or, um, or, you know, listen, listen to other, listen to other sources and, and entertain those. I, I don't know that there's anything to be done there. I don't know that there's any way for the letter writer to actually change their minds. And yes, you're, you're offering different viewpoints, but, it, I I just don't know that that's that that they're that they are actually going to be willing to entertain those viewpoints um, and entertain the entertain the you know the the credible evidence that you're offering them counter to what to what they're they've already decided is true.
1: Yeah, I think I, I I'm with you. I think one thing that might be helpful is to pause for a minute and to just say like this is a job. People quit jobs. This is not like me standing against the rising forces of not citing sources and ignorance. Um, this is a job that I do for money. Um, and oftentimes people leave jobs for various reasons, including it's very stressful and I don't find it rewarding and I'd like to do something else. So like the, you know, the 10 years before this, when you were teaching older students and you weren't teaching 19 year olds, I don't think you put quite that same pressure on yourself of, I'm not teaching, you know, the younger generation. I am failing them. I'm failing to step up. I am, you know, uh, not serving an important role. Like you were doing a different kind of teaching that you enjoyed and where you were able to be useful. So it might help to just like not make this feel like. I'm either abandoning the youth of t- and the like future of tomorrow because yeah. I can't cut it or I have a responsibility to stay here and like teach the the kids to uh, like rigorously do good research um and even if I hate it and I'm miserable I just have to because the job of a teacher is to, you know, throw themselves on a sword such that young people can do better. Um, and that's too much pressure to put on yourself. You you are you are simultaneously, yeah. I think, putting too much and not enough pressure on yourself, and that's painful.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's it it is it is a job, and you know it it's it's good. It it's definitely like a noble sort of um, desire to try to to try to combat these like harmful Id- these harmful ideas that they're presenting uh, in their papers, but you are just one person. And uh, I feel like if that is what your goal is, um, there might be better avenues for that. And if you don't need the money from this job, then there, then there, pro- then there are probably other ways that will be healthier for you and will feel more fulfilling and more effective to try to like combat, combat these ideas that are, that are stressing you out so much because like, it's not uh it's not a role that any that any one person should ever take upon themselves to to try to educate all of all of the younger generation on right and wrong. It's it's. I mean, that's something that we're all constantly trying to. We're all like trying to fight against harmful ideas. Uh, but if this environment and to, uh, is stressing you out so much that it's and it feels like you're not accomplishing that goal, uh, then. It's absolutely then like, yeah, people quit jobs for a lot of reasons. And that is a very um, that's a very uh, legitimate one.
1: Right. And, you are you know, you're still like the other teaching work that you've done still does good in the word in the world, rather. Um, like you still help people refine their skills and learn how to format and cite sources um and and yeah. become like stronger writers um that's all really really good stuff um it, it can be really hard to bump up against a different kind of teaching challenge it can be also really hard the ways in which um teaching at community college you can run up against the ways that oftentimes like primary schools fail students um and don't uh, give them the tools that they need to um you know, do research or to cite sources, um, or to construct coherent arguments. And that can be really challenging as well. Um, So I I think the only thing that you need to do is as long as you have this job, um, to keep doing the good work that you are doing, which is to say, like, you're not getting combative with the students, you're focusing solely on their arguments, you're offering them the constructive feedback that they need, and, you know, hopefully giving them the grades according to the work that they do or don't do. that's all you owe the job during the day. If you can't find a way to um, set it aside when the workday is over and you just find, like, it's too distressing and overwhelming, this might not be the job for you. Um, and that doesn't mean that you're a bad teacher or that you're failing the kids. Um, the the it, it just means that you're going to need a different kind of job. So. I- Yeah. Yeah. Give yourself permission to say, of course, I can quit. Um, You, of course, are justified in leaving this position that you've only had for a year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, there there are other jobs that that will be suited to the things that you're very good at and that you'll still be able to you'll still be able to help people. And and then, you know, uh, another teacher uh, might be able to come in and fill this role and be able to help these students in the ways that they need. Um, that you're, that, uh, are, that are presenting a challenge because you're, because it's causing you such stress. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think that's, at, that you should absolutely be willing to tell yourself that like, yeah, I, I, I have permission to quit this job because it is, it is, uh, it is not good for me and it is, uh, it is good causing it is causing harm in my life
1: yeah and you know 19 year olds can definitely be old enough to just be assholes i'm not saying that you should yeah (laughs) treat those students as like your peers and just like throw down but you know they're not i know you said the youngest was 14 but it doesn't sound like most of them are 14 like a lot of people by the time they are legal adults are also just like legal jerks um yeah so i hope that you are able to find uh you know the kind of teaching where you are able to actually make a difference um, as opposed to just like watch a bunch of people roll their eyes at you when you say things like, I need you to back up your claims with sources. Yeah, yeah. All right, last one. We are almost through. with. I just feel like we have been wading through a swamp today of just bad, bad choices and beleaguered letter writers. And I, I oh, yeah. hope... We can convince someone to drag themselves to safety. (laughs) Uh, All right. This last one the subject is My mother let my ex husband live with her, and now she won't stop talking about him. That just, that's got to stink. Dear Prudence, last year, my now ex husband and I decided to divorce. We have no children. Prior to this, my mother and I had been fairly close and had a great relationship. Things quickly imploded when, after his move didn't go as planned, I refused to let him live with me again. I had been paying all the bills and supporting him for three years, although he worked, quote, odd jobs as a handyman to pay for his cigarette and beer addictions. My mother stepped in to offer to let him stay with her and her husband. He then started stalking me, sending me threatening text messages and harassing me while living with my mother, something that she was very much aware of. After many threats, I finally obtained a permanent protective order. I also started seeing a psychologist and taking medication for my anxiety. My mother asked him to leave her house midway through these proceedings, but is kept in contact with him. I don't care if she has contact with him, but I've asked many times that she stop mentioning anything about him to me and cease giving him any information about me. We are now divorced, and she still brings him up, then acts hurt if I don't want to hear any more about him. It's making me resentful, anxious, and wanting to cut off contact with her. How can I repair the relationship with my mother without hearing more about my ex?" you are extremely generous, that you want to repair your relationship with your mother. I am so sorry. Your mother's a fucking asshole.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my first reaction to this was, you absolutely do not need to repair this relationship because it's, it's not a good one. It doesn't sound like a good one.
1: Like, your mother n- knows that you had to start taking medication for anxiety and obtained a permanent protective order, which is not super easy to get, like... She knows he was threatening and stalking you, and she still wants, like, the fact that you say you don't mind that she keeps in touch with him, I think you should mind. Like, I I understand that she's your mom and you want to feel like you can find a way to have a relationship with her. But I I actually think the line for you should be, it is absolutely unconscionable that you have any relationship at all with this guy. Um, This is absolutely a case for an ultimatum of him or me, um, and any contact with him is choosing him over me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. This is time for not asking, but telling your mother. If you continue to contact him, we will no longer have a relationship. Yeah. Um. It's she. She's aware of him stalking you, of him sending threatening letters, and yeah, it's unconscionable, and it fucking and it it, it sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like I honestly, as I read this letter, like a part of me was like, "Is the mom sleeping with him?" Like, yeah. That was how hard it was for me to understand why her sympathy are with is with him or why she acts hurt when her child is like yeah, I don't want to hear about my ex who stalked and harassed me like it's she sounds so untethered from reality. It'd be one thing if you said she'd always been a really lousy mom and this is just like one more in a long line of betrayals but if she was previously, Someone you were close with and all of a sudden she's just like, well, yeah, some things happened. But, you know, I'm sure you'd love to know about his latest like adult kickball league or whatever. I, I just, yeah, I almost wonder if she's had some sort of like break with reality or if she is sleeping with him. I- I'm sure the likelier is just that this is like a horrible revelation of her character that you had not previously seen. But I'm really sorry.
0: It's really hard to... uh cut off relationships with uh family members especially parents and i it's something that i've gone through and it sucks it's hard but this is a situation where it's unacceptable that she is continuing to contact him in in the first place and relaying information about you to him who he's a person who has stalked you and sent you threatening letters it is unconscionable that that he that she would pass information about you onto him or continue to to make you make him part of your life in the ways that she is by by telling you about him and it, even after and then when you try to get her to to stop doing this, the way that she she's making it about her and she's acting hurt like this is absolutely not acceptable. It's it's completely ridiculous that uh, she is doing this.
1: Yeah, and I think that that bit too about she's giving him information about the letter writer. That's the thing where it's like that's an issue of your safety. I absolutely believe that this guy is capable of trying to hurt you physically. Um, And if she's passing along information about your whereabouts um, or if you're like seeing somebody else, I I have absolutely no doubt that he would try to use that information to get to you again. Um, So I think this is you need to say to your mom, like, you know. I'm going to make it really simple for you. There's no reason for you to be in touch with this guy. There's no reason for you to have any lingering loyalties for him. If you want to be in touch with him at all, you will not be in touch with me. Um, that's that's it. And then, you know, line up a therapist for yourself if you don't already have one. Turn to your friends um, for support in that moment. Let yourself grieve because this is deeply, deeply painful. But you cannot yeah. repair this relationship with your mother if she insists on having any. I, I I like I I would if if this was happening to someone I actively disliked, like a social rival, um or or somebody who I thought was kind of a jackass on Twitter, I would still be horrified and come out in this person's defense and have nothing to do with the person who was stalking and harassing them. So if your mother can't yeah. muster up that same level of commitment for her child, um. You know, go back to that psychologist you were seeing, ask for a referral for a talk therapist so that you can also see somebody on a regular basis to process some of this stuff because your mother is just
0: selling you out. Yeah, yeah, massively. And I mean, so I I feel like to just in simple terms, how can you repair their relationship with your mother without hearing more about your ex is just is uh tell her that there will be no relationship if she if she continues to contact him and not just if she if she continues to tell you about what he's got going on but if he can cont- if she continues to contact him or have him in her life in any way that's too far
1: yeah especially because you offered her a bar to clear that would have required like barely moving her big toe you, you know yeah. the thing that you asked was I don't care if she has contact with him or all I want is for her not to mention him to me and for her not to pass information about me on to him. That's it. That was the bar you asked her to clear and she couldn't do it. And not only can she not do it, she'll bring him up. And then when you say, mom, as I've mentioned, I don't want to hear updates about my ex-husband who stalked and harassed and threatened me. She's like, but that's so mean. Like that's that's baffling. That's so awful. Um,
0: yeah, it's unbelievable.
1: And, and I feel like I, I want to... Like I I just want to point that out because I I, I do feel like sometimes I often say, especially on the podcast, cut this person out, cut this person out, cut this person out, to such an extent where I sort of feel like uh, an estrangement evangelist, and that's not how I want to view and approach the world, generally speaking. That is not my first go-to when it comes to resolving conflict. That's not the desire of my heart for most people with their families of origin. Um, And yet, I also believe fundamentally that if you cannot get someone else to agree that you have basic you know rights to security, safety and certain physical and emotional limits, you cannot be in a relationship with that person without hurting yourself and unfortunately, a lot of people can't clear that bar.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, letter writer, you've given you've given your mother ample chance here to clear the bar that you're asking to do to do what you've asked and it is beyond time to set that hard limit of it's either him or me.
1: Woo, Sophie, I hope you didn't have big plans to go out tonight because I don't know about you, <laughs> but I'm exhausted.
0: Yeah, no, uh, tonight, uh, tonight was going to be uh, staying at home and uh, watching, watching Netflix. <laughs>
1: well, might I recommend anything with Sally Field in it? Yes. Um, I am so grateful that you came on the show and gave your wisdom and that we are hopefully helping people move away from terrible parents and terrible bosses. Um, When's the last time you had a really, really terrible boss? And does your life get better every day?
0: Uh, The last time I had a really terrible boss, uh, I used to do uh, quality assurance for a video game company. And I don't know if you read this recently, but... Uh, the uh video game company just that just released a uh the game uh, Red Dead Redemption Two. The company is Rockstar Games. I have heard about They were about having this. their employers work a hundred-hour weeks, mm. which it which is uh the environment in video game companies and even beyond that. The boss that I was working for at that time, uh, at the time I was in the video game industry, would do things like throw his phone across the room and. And, uh, yeah, so that is the last time I had, I had a really terrible boss and I am incredibly grateful that that is not the environment I work in anymore.
1: I am also incredibly glad that that is not the environment that you work in anymore. People shouldn't throw their phones unless they're in a mid aughts romantic comedy and they are throwing it into a lake to demonstrate (laughs) how in love and happy they are.
0: Yes, Yes, I absolutely agree, and definitely not in an office. Yeah, definitely not in an office or
1: at other people. Sophie, thank you so much, and I hope that whatever you find on Netflix tonight, it brings you great joy.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was absolutely a thrill. Um, I'm I was so excited. So thank you so much.